We've been in a long study in Romans. We're towards the end of it in Romans 14. But uh, I thought in light of Easter that we would just take a break from that for one more week and think about what happened that we're celebrating and some of like the practical implications we couldn't talk about uh, last week. Um, To give you an update, if you were here, I mentioned we had a couple uh, that used to be a part of a church on our staff that moved to Alabama to finish some schooling. And Levi is his name, and Michaela is her name. Well, some of you follow on social media, but we asked you to pray last week. Out of nowhere, they had three weeks, Levi had this trouble in his right eye, and it got worse and worse. He ended up spending more than a week in the hospital, three MRIs, all these tests. And in the end, they couldn't figure out what it was. Well, I, uh, we, we were together on Sunday. I ended up talking to them on Monday, and Michaela told me they think it's a tumor. So first it was a, a vein that was inflamed, but then it's a tumor, and she said, that's all I know, keep praying. And then, like, you know, these are your friends. And, uh, well, it turns out on Tuesday, they ended up seeing a specialist, and by the grace of God, they found out what it was, and it's not a tumor, and it wasn't the thing that they originally thought it was, and within a day of treatment, all the pain completely gone, and they sent him home, which is, I know, which is incredible, and... I just, I just wish, though, that every situation was that neat. I mean, like, you guys, we're all praying, and they have friends and family praying, and within a week of concentrated prayer, uh, it turns out that he goes home pain-free. Uh, but that's not always the case, is it? So this is Monday. I hear that Levi may have a tumor. And on that same Monday, I get a call from a friend uh, who runs a business, not a part of this church, actually doesn't even live in the city. And he's like, man, can we talk? I'm like, sure. And it, as it turns out, he's got a, someone he's been mentoring, a younger person in his business that he spent a lot of time, even his kids, this guy, they call him, you know, uncle. And he, not only did he leave, uh, they're both Jesus followers, not only did he leave, but now he's threatened a lawsuit and things are getting really nasty and it's, it's come out of, out of nowhere and sometimes just life is like that, right? Um, and then you have long struggles that take twists and turns. So many of you, you know our, our leadership team. I'm asking Steve Marshman to come up. He taught here just in, in January a few months ago and mentioned what's been going on with his wife, Vicki. And I thought he'd just give us a little bit of an update because he's here. Um, Steve, we'll start with the important stuff. Who is smarter, you or, you or Vicki? It's a well-known fact. It's Vicki. Yeah. And <laughs> they both graduated the Air Force. Academy and uh, but claim to fame, she is much smarter. We I have heard. test scores to, pr- to, 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 to prove, prove it. it. I mean, to prove it. I'm not just being falsely modest. She I know really we is. we love them both, and <laughs> he teaches our classes, and so does Vicky as well. And so everyone goes to Steve with the questions, and like, well, you should actually go to Vicky. She's got the answers. <laughs> but um, you shared uh, about her diagnosis, and I can never remember the name of it. Yeah, it's called it's an autoimmune disease, and it's called polymyalgia rheumatica. And most people call it PMR because it's really easier, easier to spell too. PMR. And she's had this, she had this, these issues for a long time. Yeah, uh, going on three years is when yeah. it started. It didn't get diagnosed until last fall. And with that, you know, because autoimmune can show up in lots of places. Uh, I remember like talking about these drops that we, they would put in her eyes. Yeah, it started to show up uh, before they diagnosed it as an eye problem called uveitis. So they're putting this really harsh eye drops in that. Fixed the uveitis, but it caused all sorts of side effects. So she has really bad cataract 
now in one eye so bad she's actually blind in one eye. Uh, but that'll be fixable someday down the road. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know. Yeah, so you're, you're putting in drops to her kill one thing and that end up causing problem. something else. Well, out of that, uh, they weren't happy with the progress, and so they, they asked for more tests. And then you guys went in Monday. Maybe yeah, we, yeah we went. So she had a little bit of a setback. On, that's what I shared last time, uh, one of the times I spoke. And uh, the recovery from that hasn't been good, and they've been doing more tests. So Monday, we, uh, the, the doctors ordered a bone marrow biopsy to do more uh, tests. And the really bad news that night, they called us and, she, and said she has cancer. Uh, specifically leukemia. So yeah. that's obviously like a kick in the belly. Uh, but she started chemo on Tuesday, so we're going right at it. Yeah, so from, you know, Easter, I remember we're just rejoicing in, in this, the gatherings on Easter Sunday, and then I'm flying out Tuesday morning, but get a call that this is leukemia, and that, you know, life takes a turn. And I wanted Steve to share, not because, you know, we're all going through stuff, and not everyone gets a chance to share everything with everyone, but because they've been such a part of investing in all of us, I thought you would want to know firsthand rather than hearing. She went in like literally Tuesday morning and immediately like by the evening, she's on chemo. Yeah, she had an appointment with the oncologist at 9 and she said, you're not going home, you're going straight, in the, uh, right, or straight into the hospital. And they do a whole bunch of baseline tests and start the chemo. And she'll be there for four to six weeks because her immune system's compromised. So... Uh, we absolutely cover your prayers. Uh, we're blessed to have Jesus, family, and friends, and I have more food than I can eat right now. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, she can't even get flowers because of the oncology floor, but uh, really the only thing we need and desperately want is prayers for healing. Yeah, and uh, Vicky's not here, but, but she's here. She's family. And so I thought, why don't, we, why don't we do that now? You know, we're a family, and we love one another. We rejoice and celebrate a new birth, you know, new job, a new opportunity. And we also pray when we don't know why, but we know that God is here. So why don't you join me? Let's just pray for Steve and Vicki. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you brought this family into our world. We are better because of the Marshmans. And I thank you for their girls and now grandkids. And what you're doing in their life, it's just beautiful and how you're using all of them. And Father, we, we hate this. We hate it. And we know that you hate it too. So we ask you, even right now, as she's in the hospital and can't be with us, that you would go in and that you would heal uh, from the root, from the, from the center of it all. And in the middle of your healing process, Lord Jesus, we pray that you'll sustain her and uh, keep her white blood cells up and her body working. And Lord, we pray for Steve, who's carrying the burden of loving his, his wife and helpless to do anything that could stop this. But Lord, we call on you because you're real and you're here. And so Jesus, thank you that you're more than able. And we pray that you'll move in power this week. We want to see your hand in your name. Amen. Thank you, amen. We love you and we're with you. And um, if you don't want to send them food, I'll give you our address afterwards. You can just send it. Terrible. <laughs> He's like, we got too much food. I'm like, I got teenagers. We never have enough. <laughs> anyway, you know, like, uh, what do you do, right? So, so this week, I'd, on Monday, because I was flying on Tuesday, I'd, I'd written a message for today uh, from Romans, continuing. Remember, we're in a series and we're talking about relational conflict and how to resolve things and how to not go into attack mode or 
go into you know, ignoring the issue, but, but we really want to manage our conflict. But on Monday, having had all these things happen, I realized, God, maybe you have something else for us. So what we're going to do is we're going to go off the map. We'll go back to that. And the part two of the message we talked about, AIM, we're going we're gonna to look at next week. But I thought we'd, we'd consider, okay, if Jesus really died and rose again, if Jesus is alive, then how do I make sense of Steve and Vicki, who both love Jesus, dedicated their life to serving you, how do we reconcile Jesus being alive and her coming down with leukemia, right? Or, or, or Levi and Michaela and move to a new city. He's studying to be a nurse to help people and him in the hospital, right? How do I, how do I reconcile that? Or two brothers in Jesus working together, serving together, and now the potential of a lawsuit and a real mess. If Jesus is alive, how do I make sense of the still messy world that we live in? And if this isn't relevant to you today, trust me, it will be relevant to you or someone you know this week. And so what I want us to think about is what does it mean for Jesus to be raised from the dead, yet life's still a mess? Because for some people, that's where faith just goes off. If God's so good, why is there so much evil and suffering? If God is all-powerful, then how come he can't do this? He must not be caring. If he's powerful, he may be mean. Or maybe we think he's powerful, but he's really impotent. What is God like and what do we learn and where does the resurrection fit in all of this? I want us to think back to what we said last week. We looked at the encounter of the resurrection through the lens of Mary Magdalene. And do you remember what the angel, what the messenger of God's word to her was? Do you remember from last week? It was do not be afraid. Don't be afraid was God's word. And then, and then Jesus, who she doesn't even realize, that the messenger say, says he's why are you mourning? He's not even here. He's risen. And she's still in a state of shock. And Jesus appears alive right there. And they hold on to his ankles. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a spirit. Alive. And, 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 and worships and holds on him. And, and Jesus' word to her was what? Same thing. Don't be. Do not be afraid. Here's what I get in that picture. It made me think about and I want to tease out today, Mary Magdalene had no idea what God was doing. She was in the moment. She's there mourning, crying, missing her leader, the one she had left, everything to follow. Remember, she, she was totally attacked by evil. And, and the Bible tells us that seven demons were released from her life. She knows what darkness is like, and she knows the power of Jesus. But Jesus is suddenly in a moment arrested, killed, and she's confused. Just like when you think about the scenarios we heard about or the scenarios going on in your life right now. Whatever's going on in your world that seems confusing. You have to, you have to ask yourself, like, God, where are you in this? And Mary is there, and she hears the words, don't be afraid. I'm here just to suggest something. Yes, we live in a world that is still messed up and there are things that go on that we would never want to happen. But if we're not careful, even as Jesus followers, if we're not careful, we'll let the things we don't understand pull us away from closeness to Jesus rather than drawing us closer. And so I want us to think about how we can find strength in the middle of suffering. How do you find real strength? I mean, not made up not fake it because I'm afraid my family's going to fall apart 
or fake it because I don't want to look weak in front of people. How do you find real, like lasting, inner deep strength in the middle of suffering? Now, here's the danger. It's impossible to talk about suffering in one weekend because there's so much. And so I don't want to gloss it over and I don't want to be cookie cutter and just say, apply these band-aids and everything's going to be all right. I don't want to do that. But I want us to get started to think out what does it mean for Jesus to be risen and, and even his people to go through severe seasons of testing and trial and pain and ache and suffering. I want to look at just this morning three things that we can hold on to if we take the Bible seriously. If you don't take the Bible seriously, none of this is going to make sense. But if you take it seriously, what do we see in these pages that we can hold on to as just a framework for talking about following Jesus and going through suffering? Three things, write them down. First thing, God brings rescue through suffering. You're just going to see it all over the Bible. And we're going to glance at a few places. But I want us to think big picture. If you read it from beginning to end, which I encourage you to do, read it from the beginning to end. You see, at the beginning, God makes a perfect place and a perfect people, you and me, men and women, and they interact with him, Genesis 1 and 2. And then early on, he says, have everything. Follow me. Love me. Life is great. Take the garden. Do something wonderful. Accept this is off limits. And you know the story. Genesis 3, men and women both say, you know what? I'm not sure if God really said that. And if he said it, maybe he didn't really mean it. We're going to do what we want to do. And men and women both disobey. And what happens right afterwards? They feel naked. They feel ashamed. They hide behind a bush. And they're afraid to be with God. And, and here's what happens. God comes to them. Where are you? Where are you? And he comes to them and he talks to them. And he tells them the truth. You mess things up. And everything Genesis 3 forward shows the world the way it is. The world is in repetitive cycles of bad to worse and it's a mess. And so God points out a couple of things. Now having a family, it's going to be hard, ladies, sorry. It's going to be hard. And guys, you're not off the hook. Providing for your family, caring, protecting, guiding, it's going to be hard. It's going to cost you. When you and I disobey, there are results. So if you take the Bible seriously, suffering, the source of suffering is disobedience. The results of suffering, what it leads to is brokenness. And when you start with broken pieces, just take, I don't, don't, don't do it you know, with kids around, but just smash a piece of glass and just try to put it together perfectly. Smash that glass. Try to put it together perfectly so you can drink out of it just like you could beforehand. And you realize it's near impossible. There's these little pieces. That is missing. And so life is good and it's beautiful, but it's fractured. That is the world that we live in. And so if you take the Bible seriously, you have to ask yourself, well, where's God? Where's God in this? And I want to know, and you want to know, we want to know, and people who don't follow Jesus really want to know, where is God in the middle of this? If you take this seriously, you're going to see that God's not aloof and he's not on vacation and he hasn't, he hasn't left He's there all throughout the scriptures. God is showing up in obvious ways. He actually comes down at certain moments and he speaks through messengers. He is working in ways that we don't understand. And so you have to remember any discussion about suffering, we have to have a view of God that's actually accurate. If you start out thinking, 
we're good and we deserve good. And, and God should give me everything I ask. Then suffering's never going to make sense. It's never going to make sense. But if you start with the two realities that we have fractured things and we're living in a world that's messed up and that God still cares because that's what you see in the Bible, that God still cares, then suffering can begin to make sense. We'll, we'll see it in Jesus. God rescues. He brings rescue through suffering. Perfectly in Jesus, but it's all over the Bible. So, so God does what to bring us back to him? He doesn't just send messengers. He comes himself. So if you want to see what rescue looks like and how suffering fits, all you have to do is look at Jesus. God confines himself to time. God, God makes time, and then God steps into it and is born at a real time. He lives in Mary for nine months. And God is born. And now I don't understand the mystery of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But I do know this, that Jesus is God. And he is God made flesh. And, and so Jesus learns to walk and talk and falls and gets hurt. And Jesus cries. His, his good buddy, Lazarus, dies. And he gets to the tomb. Shortest verse in the Bible it's really profound to think about. Jesus wept. It's really small and it's not trite. And when we think about what God is like and where, where suffering fits in the big story, you've got to remember that God isn't absent from it and God isn't like unconcerned. God feels. I don't think it's off to say God cries. Because Jesus, who is God here, cries at the death of his friend, even though he's got the power to change it, and he does, he still feels it deeply. So, so Jesus cries. Jesus is tired. Jesus is hungry. Jesus is rejected by his best friends. Jesus is misunderstood. Jesus is falsely accused. Jesus is put on trial. Jesus is unjustly sentenced to death. Jesus is beaten by the very people that he's keeping alive. And Jesus, although he did nothing wrong, takes on our guilt. So we can't say it with honesty, although we say it, we mean right. You can't, though, say it with honesty if you take the Bible seriously. You can't say, God, you don't understand what I'm going through. You can't, you can't do it. Because there's not a human emotion that Jesus didn't feel just like we do. And so it's hard pill to swallow, I admit. But to admit that we're broken... And to admit that God is more loving than we would give him credit for, I think is the right place to start. You want to you look at how God brings, he brings rescue through suffering. Uh, Jesus, who's never been out of sync with his father. He only says what the father says, only does what the father does. Never been out of sync. He's on the cross and he takes on, if you read the Bible carefully, he takes on our sin. Okay, now, now you ever do something and you're like, oh shoot, I shouldn't have done that. I mean, like, let's be honest, you did it today. I mean, we all do it. We do it. Like, I shouldn't have done that. Okay, you ever do something so bad, you're like, oh, my gosh, I hope no, no one ever finds out what I just did. Because if anyone ever finds out, and we feel, we feel this guilt, right? We feel this shame, and we see the person we did it to or the person who's impacted, like, oh, I hope they don't know. Like, we feel that. Imagine Jesus, who is really a man. He has never lied. He's never felt guilt. Shame. And now, giving himself as a sacrifice, he takes on our stuff. He never murdered, but that weight of it is put on him. He never raped, 
But that weight, that guilt, and then because God can't be in the presence of sin, he's holy, he's altogether different. In that moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't understand what happened. But I do know as he's carrying our, our guilt for the first time, he is feeling out of line with the Father. Somehow, some way. And so if you feel like you are so far gone and God is nowhere to be seen, Jesus even understands that. You see, he's acquainted with our suffering. He knows what we're going through. And so what I want us to get is God doesn't bring about rescue avoiding suffering. At any point, God could have just wiped it out. Remember he did it with Noah? In Noah, the whole world is clean except one good, good family remains. And what happens right after the floodwaters go and there's this one family, I'm going to re-kick off this thing I did. I'm going to restart it. What happens? Immediately they rebel and it gets worse. And so God could have just found another way and wiped us all out and started over, but he doesn't. And so I just want us to remember, God actually uses, he's working through difficulty and heartache and trouble to do things that we don't even understand. As a matter of fact, if it wasn't for God's suffering, none of us would know him. He chooses to step in and take this thing called humanity and so if you feel like things are not as great as there should be for you, and I know we do, just know you're not alone. And God understands in ways that you don't even realize. Does. You ever just been betrayed by someone? You know, that person you're going to give your life to and you get married and now they're gone. Those kids that you've given, you've given your time and attention to, hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to keep alive. And now they grow up and they don't want to be around you. Or something happened along the way and they're not satisfied with the way you raised them. Or there's hurt. I, you know, we, we go through, sometimes relational conflict is even more painful than an open wound. We all are going through things. And I just want us to get this and I'm drilling it through again and again and again. If we don't start at the right place, we'll never end up with the right result. We need to start with this understanding that yes, the world is broken, not because of God, but because of our rebellion and we're feeling the effects and that God in his love steps in and suffers. And it's his suffering that's going to free us from ours. That is the story of the Bible. There's a, a good book, I'd recommend it, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by an author, Tim Keller, a pastor out of New York. It's just, it's, some of it's very heady and philosophical, but it's really helpful I want to give you a quote that kind of summarizes what I just said. He says, suffering is actually at the heart of the Christian story. Suffering is the result of our turn away from God, and therefore it was the way through which God himself in Jesus Christ came and rescued us for himself. The scripture's startling message is that the deepest revelation of the character of God is in the weakness, the suffering and death on the cross, you think, you know, what's the greatest understanding of who God is? It's not that he makes the heavens and the earth and holds it all in his hand. The greatest understanding that we get of God is that he takes on our pain and he suffers for us. That's what real love is like. And here's the good news. Where, where is Easter fitness? Because you're trying to think, okay, Jose, Jesus is risen. Well, why didn't he just wipe out pain and suffering? It's because pain is not the end 
of the story. You see, God rescues us through his suffering. In his death, we're released from our guilt and shame if we follow him because we can now receive what we couldn't. Forgiveness, because he paid for it in full. But now he's also alive. And the story of the Jesus movement is not about just the death of Jesus to forgive us. The story has always been. And the message, if you read Acts carefully, the preaching of the early leaders was about Jesus and his resurrection. What blew people away was not that Jesus died. What blew people away was that he rose and everything he promised to those of his followers, he's now going to accomplish because he's alive. So, so in my suffering, I need to remember pain is not the final word. Life is the final word. So I want to take you to the end of the Bible. Beginning, perfect, men and women with God, it's bliss. It's broken, but where does it end? Because of Jesus and the resurrection, Revelation 21 and 22, I encourage you to read it today. I'll give you just a portion. And I heard, this is John, taken up into the heavens. Check this out. John is taken up, one of his followers, and, said, and, and Jesus says, I want you to see what's about to happen. And John is taken out of time. This is a mind blow. He sees what is going to happen and hasn't happened yet, and he saw it 2,000 years ago. Because where God is, there is no time. And so he's swept up in the presence of God and says, I want you to see what's going to happen. I want you to write it. Because at the time, Jesus' followers were being persecuted severely for their belief in him. And some were saying, if Jesus rose again, why is my property taken? Why am I going through hell on earth? And is it worth it? Is following Jesus really worth it? Look at what he says. And I heard a loud, a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things, which is like right now, has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. The old order has passed away. What we are going through now is the time before the time. You see, Jesus, Jesus rescues us. Through his suffering and his resurrection, now he releases us to the way things should be. So one day, you and I will be like what John saw. We will be with him and we will see that everything has been made new and all pain and all agony and all death will be gone. This is the hope of following Jesus. And throughout the centuries, it's the hope that's uniquely in following Jesus. In every other system, you're either hoping that it was all a shadow and not real. As you look at the systems of the world and belief, and, and a lot of them it's like, it's not real, it's not real, it's not real. You're feeling it, but it's not real. And you're hoping that at the end there's just nothing. Or you're hoping that somehow in the scale of things, if there's a God and if there's a force, that you're on the right side of the scales and you, you hope that you're going to achieve some sort of bliss and the Christian hope has always been God suffered for us to bring us to life. And those of us who humbly say, I need you, I want to follow you, they get God and his new world. And we will never be the same. So, they say, well, this doesn't help me out because right now I'm going through hell. I want you to think about 
what happens early on. Christians start dying. They didn't know, like, is Jesus going to come back now? Are Christians even going to die? Because God's going to give us life, right? And Christians start dying. And so Paul writes to the church. Look, look at what he writes. Because they were struggling. What do we do? Like, if Jesus is alive, I don't understand. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Don't be surprised when people die. So that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Here, here's, here's our hope. Jesus dies, yes, for us in our place, and he rises again. And now we're in him, and the hope that we hold on to and that we know, it's not like a hope like I wish, it's the confidence, is that because Jesus is risen and we see what life is now like, Jesus was eating, drinking with his friends. He could go through walls. That's like life that's amazing. And he ascended into the Father's presence and they saw him no more. Exactly like Jesus is living right now. By the way, Jesus didn't give up his body. He is alive. He's taken on humanity forever. And he is experiencing what you're going to experience and what I'm going to experience. And my friends, this is real hope in the face of death, in the face of trial. So we grieve and we cry and we mourn, but we don't mourn like everybody else. Because we know that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, and Jesus is going to make all things right. So God rescues through suffering. Now, I spent a lot of time on that, but when I say suffering, maybe you've misunderstood because it happens on Monday, especially when football's in season. It happens on a Monday. Someone's team loses, and then Monday morning, is like mourning and suffering. You know, it happens, right? Whether it's college on a Saturday or pro sports on a Sunday. And like, oh man, my team. Like, you know, like, oh, there's that kind of mourning. Or, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't get that promotion that I wanted. And I'm like, I'm, I'm suffering. And maybe that is a form of suffering. Like, I'm suffering. Not realizing at that same office, someone's crying about not getting a promotion. Someone's crying about their team losing. And someone's crying because their baby's been diagnosed with something. And when we say the word suffering and pain and hardship, we're not even talking about the same thing. Here's what I want you to see quickly. The Bible says that there are lots of suffering and God's present in all of them. I'm going to give you just a few. Second thing to write down, not all suffering is the same. We need to grab hold of this. God works to rescue us through difficulty, through pain, not avoiding it. He hits it head on. But it's not all the same. What do I mean? Sometimes we're suffering from our failures. Think about it. We mess up and then at times we feel the repercussions of it and we, and we point the finger at God. Uh, I think of David in the Bible. David is a man after God's own heart. No better guy than David. No one more loved by God than David. But David, after God gives him everything, what does he do? He's got multiple wives, kids, kingdom, cash, everything. And he sees a lady. And he's like, I need to have her. And he rapes her. It's not consensual. The king rapes her. And then to cover up, the king kills her husband and tries to get away with it. And it's not until God confronts him through the prophet and says, you're the guilty one. He doesn't confess until he's caught. And so what happens? Is David now out of God's presence? No. David is loved. David is forgiven. But if you read the Bible carefully, David's life is never the same. He 
His kids try to kill him. His kids kick him out of the kingdom. And for the rest of David's life, he has God in his presence, but he also has the results of his own failings. And so, my friend, when we talk about God and suffering, sometimes there's cause and effect, not always. So even the guy that they brought to Jesus blind and they say to him, well, whose sin was it? Was it mom's, dad's? Who sinned that this person was blind? And, and Jesus says, nobody's. So not all suffering is a result of what we've done, but we have to say some of it. Then there's suffering for doing what's right. Paul, right? Paul is out preaching good news, going from town to town, loving people. He gives his money, gives his life to this. And what happens? They throw him in prison. They beat him up. They talk bad about him. And he suffers city after city. You think that God would like the people talking about him? And for some reason, he never has a pain-free life. And so, yeah, God works through seasons where even you do the right thing. And it doesn't mean by following Jesus and doing what you're called to do that things are going to always go well for you. Sometimes we just misunderstand. They're suffering from loss. And, and Mary and Martha, they lose their brother Lazarus. And they cry. And Jesus is there with them. In all of these cases, God is with these people. But not as you'd expect. We see we expect God to remove all pain and give me what I want. Total peace, absent of conflict. Hear me, friend. All throughout the Bible, you're going to see people who find God and peace in the middle of conflict. And so you don't have to be outside, uh, you know, free from pain and suffering to experience God's presence. You could actually be inside the middle of prison, whether it's prison of memories or a physical prison because of something you've done and experience God's presence there. There's, there's suffering that seems senseless. Let's not forget that. What's really frustrating about God is he doesn't tell us everything. And there's a whole book dedicated to it, Job. Read it. And what you're going to find is Job is an upright guy, never done anything that deserves punishment. And in a moment he loses his, his family. All of his kids die. And he loses all of his possessions. And he was a leader in the town. And then he's mocked as a joke. And he's got three friends that come around and try to give him, they try to give him all the reasons why God did this and what he's done wrong and how God's punishing him. And in the end, he cries out to God and says, God, I, you know I'm upright and innocent. What's going on? And God's response is very, very telling and frustrating. <laughs> God says to Joe, who are you? Who are you to tell me I need to tell you? And, and, and he's like, whoa. And he's like, were you there when I made the stars? No. Were you there when I made the heavens and earth? Well, no. Do you know anything, Job? I'm paraphrasing. No. I, I don't. And then, and then here's, you want God to say, well, let me tell you. And he's like, I'm not telling you. Some things we're going to go through and God's just not going to tell us why. Now, you've got to hear the end. Job ends that season and God restores the things that were taken, and, and God never answers why. But it's not senseless. God even had a purpose in that. So if you come to God expecting him to tell you everything you want to know, when you need to know it, you're going to be disappointed, because God, uh, he's, he's, not, he's not our toy, and he's not our slave, but he does love us. And I want you to capture that. The perfect example of God's love is in Jesus and Jesus is there in the middle of it. So not all suffering is the same. And we got to recognize 
in all areas and forms, God is with us. Even if you've blown it, hear this, friend. If you've blown it, God is with you. And if you've made a mess of your life, God will restore and God will move you forward. And it's not the end for you. But there might be seasons of consequence and suffering. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. The third thing I want us to see and then we want to respond and worship is not only does God rescue through suffering and not only is not all suffering the same. We've got we to be careful, especially as we try to help people. But the third thing is God uses suffering to shape us. God uses suffering to shape us. And, and I, I can just tell you my own life. I, I, I don't know yours. I've experienced all of those kinds of suffering in my life. Like all, all of them. I, I know what it's like to, to suffer from my own failures. I've told you the story before, but I'll, I'll recap if you're new here. At the, in high school, I had a great GPA, but I missed like the top scholarship at the university that I went to by just a few fractions of a point because I kind of fluffed off my senior year. I, I didn't need those credits to graduate, so I didn't care what I got. And I already got accepted. I already got approved. And so I fluffed off. What I didn't realize was they actually count the last year too. They, they, count, they, they count the cumulative grade at the end. So it was the last semester, the last semester that dropped me right below the presidential scholarship. In the end, I needed to take thousands of dollars in loans that would have been absolutely free. And I learned a lesson, and I put up a verse on my desk, Colossians 3, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. It's not men that you're serving, it's God. As a reminder to this thick-headed soul that I should give my all to everything, no matter whether I think anyone's going to see it or not, because I missed out. Now, God in His grace gave me a job, and I was able to pay it off. But that was a waste of money. I could have gotten it for free. See, I, I suffered. That, I mean, I seem like a big deal to you. But when you're 20 and you have bills, that was, a, that was suffering. I learned from it. I've suffered for doing what's right. I, I've traveled for years and been gone in the pre-FaceTime era. When our kids were first born, I wouldn't see them for weeks. You come home, they literally look different. And, and it used to be long-distance calls were so expensive, it would be like short little calls. I got to go. You know, like, and I don't get, you know what? I don't get that back. I've spent time and energy in places trying to love people in Jesus' name and have had Christians say, eh, we, we're not sure if we want to do this again. I just raised thousands of dollars to do this and partner with you, and now you're, you're not even happy? I could be home. I, now, I'm not bitter. I'm really not, but I know what it's like to, to suffer when you're like, I'm just trying to love people and those who hear it or those who are partnering aren't happy with it. I, I know what that's like too. I'm not Paul, but I, I get a taste. There, there is a cost. Uh, I've, um, we've suffered loss, like real loss. You know, we've been open and honest about you know, a decade of infertility, uh, medical issues right now that are still haunting I was close. I was almost there. You should have been here at 9. It was a wreck. Uh, doing this the second time is actually therapeutic and helpful. But, but it really is. But, but we have issues going on in my wife's body that, you know, they kind of know what's going on, but they don't. And it's hard. And you think, like, we're like, we love you. And yet we know what it's like to have loss. I know what it's like to lose Mentors and friends, people that invested in my life have now died. 
people right now are very close. I know what that's like. Like, so, so all these Bible things are like things we've experienced. And I know suffering that's senseless. That's absolutely, you know, there, there are things that when we're in eternity, I want some Q&A time with Jesus too. Like I want, I want to know like, why did, why did this happen? And why us? And that made no sense. How does God shape us? I, I want us to think at a couple of verses that might be a help to you. And I, I'm saying this because I want you to, to when you hit it, not lose hope. And if we're not grounded now, if we don't have like a solid foundation to even think about God and suffering, when we're hit with it, we're going to either grab onto him with full faith or many of us are going to slide away, misunderstanding what God is trying to do. How does God shape us through suffering? Romans 5, write it down. It's super helpful. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access into, by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we glory, catch us in our sufferings. He's not being masochistic. He's not being like, bring on the pain. He's not like one of these, like, you know, fighters who's just a glutton to be hit. No, we glory in it. Why? Because we know that suffering produces, what does it produce? Perseverance, perseverance, character. Character and character, hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Perseverance, character, and hope. And that's not the only thing that God wants to produce. But just know the, the way he rescues us from our old self is he shapes us. And let's just think exercise for a moment because we get this. If you want to exercise, you can walk gently, right? And, and never like break a sweat. And you'll, get, you'll gain value. Walking is actually good for you. You should walk. You should walk a lot. That's good for you. But you know what? Picking up the pace a little bit is a little harder, and it will produce more benefit. Let's, just, let's go weights. This is not from experience. But I, can, I could do reps, you know. I could do short reps. Or I could do reps and then have someone spot me and push me, right, to really go to the point where I can't lift it. And they, they lift it off of me. And, and we all recognize that the more I'm pushed, the more value I'm getting. That's just, that's just health. God knows how to grow us. And he knows, how do you, how do you build perseverance? Like a, a steadfastness. Someone who's willing to hold in no matter if everything's falling apart. How do I produce that? It's not from a class. A, a seminar is not going to help you. But when you know the truth and then you're forced to live it, that can change you. And then when you're, when you're able to stick in, character begins to come around your life. And you realize, well, not just character like a nice person. Actually, you become more like Jesus in the way you think and feel and act. And then when you are growing that way, you know what it produces? Hope. Not, wow, this is what I was. This is what I am. And, and if this is what God's doing to me, look at what I'm going to be. And so, do I wish that God would do it without pain? Yeah. But I also wish I could eat donuts all day and never exercise and be healthy. <laughs> I've tried it. And it doesn't, it doesn't work. So in order to be the people God wants us to be, He creates opportunities. Is God the author of evil? Absolutely not. But can God take evil and even work it for your good? Absolutely yes. He doesn't have to be the author of it. 
to use it for your good. And um, one last verse, and we want to respond in worship. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. I don't want you to be informed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We're under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so we despaired uh, even of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we received the sentence of death. And notice this perspective. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us again. And on Him, God, we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Paul knows what it's like to follow Jesus. By the way, he's there to plant churches and people are trying to literally kill him for doing it. And so he says to the church, pray for me. It was hard. We felt like we were going to die here. But you know what he learned? Paul was used by God to do miracles like nobody else. He saw everything that Jesus saw happen, Paul saw through his life. But God even uses a difficult scenario where Paul's got no hope, no help, nothing to realize my only hope is in Jesus. And if, if, if a leader like that needs periods of suffering, how much more do you and I? We need it even though we hate it. But hear this, God hasn't left you in that season. God is there as Paul is experiencing the, sent, the death sentence. And God is there when you're going through it too. So what do we do What do we, in times of trouble? Two things that I think we can do. They're almost exactly the same. Almost. And I, I encourage you, please, please make this a practice. When you hit that, or if you're in it right now, use it as an opportunity to move closer to Jesus. I, I, I can't tell you when it's going to end. I can't tell you how it's going to end. Only God can. But notice what Paul says, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who can raise the dead. Paul knew that God raised Jesus from the dead, and Paul had seen people raised from the dead. So it's, he's like, well, what can I do? I can put my hope in God. This circumstance can draw you to know Jesus better, or it could be the event that repulses you and repels you from Jesus. You just need to know that. And I know people who've had a close walk with God that have gone through whatever they've gone through. And I know some who, who know him better and are living closer to him and experiencing his presence and helpful to other people in seasons of suffering. And I know people who've walked away and say, look, if that's the God that you told me about, I don't want to know anything about him any longer. We can respond in either vein. And I just hope for you that it draws you closer. And the second, it's almost the same, but it's different, is you can use this opportunity to move closer to Jesus' people. Paul ends his little thing saying, on Jesus we've set our hope that he'll continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Friend, this can be an opportunity for you to see God's presence in other people. David is at a low in his life and he's hiding from God and, and God uses the prophet not, not to tell him he's going to hell but say, David, this isn't right. And God uses the prophet to speak into his life and then he, he cries out 
and, and God rescues him. Paul's got some people at another church that sent him out, and now he's like, I feel like I'm going to die here. And he's like, man, pray for me, because God will rescue me, but I need you. And sometimes we, we, we're looking for God to like show up like Easter morning, bam, lights and white, bright. And God wants to show up in Martha. Who's the one that tells Peter and James and John the rest that Jesus is alive? Not the angel. Martha. Martha encounters Jesus. And then she's used by Jesus to tell the others he's alive. And so in moments like this, we can come to one another and say, you know what? Um, I'm in pain. And uh, when you're hurting, the default mode is the wall. It's just... It's psychology, it's just human nature. We put up barriers because we don't want to get more hurt. We don't want the wound to go deeper. Or we want to protect our reputation and not have anybody know. Because the strong are the kind of people we want to be. And can I just say, that's just, in Jesus' family, that just doesn't make any sense. Rather, we want to be a people that embrace hardship and struggle together and not give pat answers, cookie cutter, everything's going to be all right. But rather just say, like, I'm here with you, and I'm going to pray until you see a breakthrough. And if that takes five years, I'm with you. And if that takes ten years, I'm with you. And if we see it in a week like Levi, <laughs> we'll rejoice. But you're not alone. This morning is an opportunity for us to respond. So here's what I want you to do. Stand on your feet if you would. And we want to respond by singing a prayer. And so this song for you, can I just invite you, let this song become a prayer that moves you closer to Jesus' presence and doesn't push you away. And no matter what you're going through, make this song your response to God. And in this time of worship, I pray that you'll encounter His realness. And then we'll come back to the table, bread and the cup, and we'll experience God together because he's here with us. Lord, we come to you because we have no one else who has the wisdom and the power to get us through. And so Holy Spirit of God, we invite you now. Move, not only in our situation, but in our ability to stand, our perseverance, and in our character. And Jesus, you alone 